Welcome to Wallowing in the Shallows, the podcast that skirts the perilous drop-off of a deep dive into television and movies. We are academic nerds aspiring to become TV and movie geeks. There are no spoiler guards in the shallows, so listen at your own risk. This week, join us for a wallow in Good Omens Season 2. Hey, hello, peeps. Welcome to Wallowing in the Shallows. This is Tori. And this is Rebecca, and we are talking about Good Omens Season 2, Episode 3, Chapter 3, I Know Where I'm Going, featuring the mini-sode, The, Regi- the Resurrectionist. I have a little trouble saying that word, The yeah, Resurrectionist. <laughs> yes. It is a tongue twister. So, I, you know, from this, from just the title, I really was wondering, like, what in the heck? is this episode going to be about other than figuring as was going to edinburgh yes yes and do you happen to have the imdb db summary in front of you oh i do not i do so oh, i'll go ahead i'll be happy to read that all right lay it on me so our little summary here heaven sends the angel muriel in disguise <laughs> kind of in disguise <laughs> to spy on aziraphale and crowley Aziraphale drives to Edinburgh in pursuit of his clue. Could you could you catch the capital C in my clue? I did. I did. And learns a little about a lot. The couple's visit to Edinburgh in 1827 involves grave robbery, a statue, and an unfortunate encounter with a vial of laudanum. <laughs> in the present... Crowley is in charge of the bookshop and is disappointed by human beings and the weather. <laughs> that, was, that was a cheeky one. I liked that one. Of course, I added a little of my own cheekiness. I just, I pulled it up while you were talking and I like the uh, the moniker of the person who wrote it, Flying Bugs. Nice. <laughs> nice. Very Which I'm still thinking is very important to this story. <laughs> Every episode alludes to this fly, but we've got no joy yet of what it's actually doing. No, it's it's interesting. I keep noticing it now more because yes. you pointed it out. So thank you for that. Because otherwise, I'm not sure I would have really paid a whole lot of attention to it. Yeah, it's so, got to have a payoff. Yeah, I, I hope so. I was happy that in watching this after we recorded for episode two, that yes. we had a few confirmations. I think we're on the right track for a few things. I'm feeling pretty good. We haven't had anything major completely dashed. Right. That we've been thinking. But there's still a lot to be revealed, of course. Yeah, absolutely. We still have three episodes to go. So I think that our belief that Crowley said Lady Bracknell from Mm -hmm. The Importance of Being Earnest is Mm -hmm. confirmed even more. I saw at the beginning of this episode when they were zooming in on the bookshop above the other window that Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen what was written above it before. It says, purveyor of books to the gentry. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not updated. Wow. It's, okay. It's signage in like a century. <laughs> so okay. yes, I think I think Crowley's criticism is astute. Yes, it sounds like it. 
Wow. So this one, this episode, we open with the Jim, short for James, long for Gabriel. <laughs> yes. Drinking long chocolate out of his mug. <laughs> and dare we say, Lord Jim. Lord I'm, Jim. I'm really still holding on to thinking God's in there somewhere. And <laughs> the Lord Jim makes me wonder about it even more. But it only goes by Jim here. And he has his little... It, you know, I can just see a zero fail like ordering these these personalized mugs and tin of hot chocolate yes. for his little house guest. <laughs> Jim is loving that hot chocolate. He sure is. I don't blame him. I love hot chocolate myself. <laughs> you know, I should help. I should have a little cup of hot chocolate after we record. That sounds delightful. Yeah, it's kind of a cold and dreary day here. For August. For August. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, you know, I was wondering, you know, because there's not much in that scene. We just see yes. him drinking his hot chocolate and then we're over at, at the coffee shop. Yes. But I had paused it to look at something and supposedly Radio Gaga by Queen was playing, but I couldn't catch it. Oh, I if it was, I missed it completely. Okay. So it wasn't just me. I was like, really? I'm not hearing it at all. No, I miss even it turned completely. up my volume. I'm like, what's going on? Ah, well, since we did both miss it, <laughs> shall we jump over to the coffee shop? Yeah, let's just do that. Okay. Did you catch I... the name of the customer she was talking to? I don't think I did... it ever says it, but I it's in the captions. Is it like sandwich or something? Yeah, yeah Mrs. Sandwich. Okay, so I have big questions about this woman. Oh, okay. So she says... You make better coffee when you're happy. The girls notice. Yes. What do you what do you think? Who do you think this woman is? What do you think she does? Who's she picking up coffee for? I for some reason thought she was a stylist and maybe owned a salon. I'm not really sure why I oh. thought that, but that was what popped into my head immediately. Okay. Well, that does jive with me. When would you refer to the girls? Right. Right. And I think if you were working in a stylist, it, you know, yeah. at least in some in yeah. some places, it might be a yeah. bunch of girls that yeah. are doing hair. Yeah. And she's very made up. Mm -hmm. Now, the other time that I think of like my girls or something mm -hmm. is like a madam. Yes. Who, <laughs> but that doesn't seem quite to jive. But what might connect is in the opening credits, uh -huh. there are four can-can girls. Huh. And I'm wondering if maybe her girls are dancers in uh -huh. a show that's somewhere in the neighborhood or something. But I just, I really got hung up on her and her girls. Now, she also does, I, I feel like she works nearby yes. because it seems like she knows Nina Right. on a daily basis, right. knows about Lindsay, is yep. very upset about mm -hmm. how Lindsay is treating Nina. Mm -hmm. And I really like Miss Sandwich. <laughs> I did too. I did too. I thought she was a great little addition. I hope she comes back. I'd love to see more of her. I think she will. 
I, I mean, be- she says, she says, my girl's welfare and qual- she she's like, you know, when you're not happy, it affects my girl's welfare and quality of life and coffee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she feels some responsibility for these other women. And I'm assuming they are young women, not actually girls, because right. she's getting them coffee. So right. I feel like we're going to see Miss Sand- Ms. Sandwich again. I hope so. And she takes four coffees. So I'm assuming it's for herself and three girls. I made that assumption as well. So we shall see. Okay. I just needed to take some time with, was it Ms. Miss or Mrs. Sandwich? Do you know? Mrs. Sandwich. Mrs. Sandwich. Okay. Which, you know, could be, maybe she is a madam. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know. They're just... It seemed significant the way she was referring yeah. to these other people. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we will see. And then we see Muriel in her all white <laughs> uniform. This, you know, she's a delight. She <laughs> is, plays naivete so well. It kind of reminded me of America Ferreira in Ugly Betty. That naivete yes that real kind of innocent joy I feel like I'm not familiar enough with ugly Betty to really compliment to to really comment but I'm from what I the brief little connection I do have to it I would agree okay but I don't have a whole picture all right then we'll just move on I'm a human police officer Heaven is really bad at investigating <laughs> stuff on Earth. I mean, Heaven doesn't have a clue. Cup of tea. <laughs> yes. It took me a second <laughs> to get yes. that. And I was like, cup of tea? What's cup of tea? And then I'm like, oh, cup of tea. <laughs> and Crowley is just so amused by all this. Yes. <laughs> As is a zero fail, really. Oh, I mean, yeah. they're both the whole Bobby Constable thing. Well, you are dressed like a Bobby. <laughs> Bo- uh, <laughs> Inspector Constable. Constable. Inspector, Inspector Constable. Inspector Constable. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So and cute. and then Crowley Crowley's line is perfect. I don't know how your lot have managed to stay in charge all this time. <laughs> I'm not sure we have, have we? <laughs> yeah, that was a great exchange. It was a great exchange. It does make you kind of wonder. Yes. Because the angels are so out of touch with humanity so out of touch i don't know if it's important but today is wednesday in the episode oh we finally got i didn't catch that we have a day given which makes me think it's the day before azarafael has to have that gathering at his place because i think that was a thursday supposed to be a thursday yeah we did have confirmation that Lazari is indeed mm-hmm. connected with Lazarus. How yes. many times, how much power it could be to have, how many times it could have brought someone back from the dead. Yes. So, yes, that was a pretty powerful miracle they cast. And it I does guess. seem to continue to work. Now, I I guess I'm not entirely sure if Muriel would recognize Gabriel. But anyway, everybody who should know Gabriel so far, other yes. than the two that cast it, does not know him. Yeah. He's still safe so far. Still so far. Cool. And then we're back to the coffee shop. Yes. <laughs> and Muriel is, is just as sly as ever and just come out comes out and asks Nina about her love life. And like, Nina like, essentially says to shove it. Yeah. I love it. She's like, get out. <laughs> yeah. 
when I'm talking to my students and I'm explaining why it takes so long to do anthropological field work, I kind of say that. I was like, well, what would you say if somebody just came up and said, hey, I'm going to study you? Yeah. You would be like, uh, go away. <laughs> yeah. No, very, very much so. Very. very. Yeah, and, she's, and she's in pure white. I mean, it's just the oddest thing all yeah. around. Yeah. I'm really disliking Nina. I mean, she's taking all of her personal shit out on other people. I mean, because she's pretty sharp. Yes. With Muriel here, I was like, really? Would you treat a customer that way? Right. Like, Come on, this is your coffee shop. And yes. she's just, yeah, she's just taking all of her crap out on other people. Yes. Which we can return to in just a little bit. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Clearly, I do hope we learn more about Lindsay. I hope we learn more about this relationship. I hope we get deeper into understanding why Nina is acting the way she is. Yeah. So we have the intro credits happen. Yes. yes. And just a couple of things I want to mention. Definitely some things from this episode are in there. Mm -hmm. And that thing that continues to change each episode, the marquee this time says the resurrectionists. And yes. the little film clip is the Gabriel statue, which we will see forthwith. You know, does it always say in that same area... Before they actually get to the stage, you know, and we see the signs for the theater outside, and it says the fabulous ladies of Camelot. We should okay. look for that in the neighborhood and see if there's any reference to it. Because that I... might then support more of what you were saying about Mrs. Uh, Sandwich's girls actually being the dancers. Yes, I think those are the Can-Can girls. Yeah, because we'll see four can can girls later in the intro. And I, I couldn't remember the name that you just said something of Camelot. The fabulous ladies of Camelot, the, the fabulous ladies of Camelot. Yes, that poster is there every time. OK, so. Oh, good. Good point. It would be nice to see if there is such an establishment or such signage or something, if we can see that somewhere in the little neighborhood. Yeah, maybe there's a little cabaret, you know, something on the lines of uh, the Triple Door, right? Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see Can Can Dancers at the Triple Door. 100%. Oh, I like it. So let's I keep like an eye it. out for that. We're on alert. <laughs> We're on alert. They, it also rains. There's a point later when we see the two shops that it is raining hearts. Oh, this is the first time I really noticed it, oh. and we can revisit it when we get to the rain scene, but yeah. I'm sure that's alluding to the love trap. New, Yeah, the awning of a new age. <laughs> <laughs> that was wonderful. <laughs> that was wonderful. And the pickled herring barrel also. I did makes, notice that. Yes. I did notice that. Yes. <laughs> so I think that's all I, I need to say about the intro this time. I have a note here because I, I paid a little bit more attention to it. I I haven't done my deep dive into it yet. But at some point, I wrote creation turned upside down. Yes. But I'm not sure what it's referenced to. <laughs> In the intro? Yeah. Well, that absolutely happens. Like with the, when the bridge sort of separates and then... The cosmos kind of rotates at least 90 degrees, if uh, not 180 degrees. I think okay. it might just be 90, but I bet that's what you're referring to. Oh, uh, must be. <laughs> and it almost looks like 
part of the constellation or the cosmos or the nebula or whatever, once it's turned, almost looks like a little hooded figure or kind of a figure behind the main scene. But I'm not Uh, sure about that. It just, uh that may be coincidental. Oh, could be. I, again, like I said, I have to, I have yet to do my deep dive into it, but those are just some Yes, I noticed I spent a little more time on it as I I love I love watching it every time. (laughs) So then we jump back to November 10th, 1827 in Edinburgh. Yes. And Aziraphale and Crowley are together. And of course, you know, this is where that pub is. Mm -hmm. This is where Gabriel was. Mm -hmm. This is where the weird record thing is happening. Why does this statue actually look like Gabriel in 1827? I mean, what is the connection with Gabriel to Edinburgh? This is a question we don't have answered yet. Right. But that statue shows up in the opening credits. This is clearly important. I'm just, oh, but we do not know. We do not have all the pieces yet. Yeah, it'll be interesting to find out why it looks so much like him because you would he doesn't seem like somebody or an angel that comes to earth often at all Mm -hmm. so i don't know yeah so at what point shall i share my information about why i believe they have chosen 1827 to be the time when this is happening i think you can go for it right now okay so clearly in this episode we have these, the taking bodies to mm-hmm. go to anatomists. <laughs> yes. And it is not, it, it at least with this chap, it is with good intent. It is with trying to figure out the human body. These bodies are dead. These people are dead anyway. It is just the remains and we could really learn something from them. And like right. today, we donate our bodies to science and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it is definitely something that society has come a ways on. But yes. at this time, it is really frowned upon. But it's and legal so- at this time because I did look that up because I thought it was already legal at that point. But it was very specific. Do you want me to do that now or we can do that later? You go ahead and do that now. Okay. So in Scotland in 1506, King James IV actually made it okay for barber surgeons of Edinburgh, which is now the um, the Royal College of Surgeons in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And it was King James gave them the okay to dissect the remains of certain executed criminals yes and then in 1752 they a great britain so a little bit broader now the murder act was passed and every murderer after execution would either be dissected or um, hung up using chains but still Mm -hmm. so it was very specific and the yes. reason there were still body snatching going on or grave robbing going on is because there were not enough cadavers. <laughs> Which is exactly what Dalrymple refers to when he says there aren't enough murders. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So exactly. that's perfect. Yeah. Yes. Some special conditions that right. allow this to happen, but not an, there are many more de- good dead bodies yes. than are available to be used. Yes. And so in 
so at, at this time, and I, let me just first talk about Burke and Hare. Okay. They are these two chaps that they, there were a series of murders, 16 killings committed over 10 months in Edinburgh. And they sold the corpses to Robert Knox for dissection at his anatomy lectures. And the first body was November 29th, 1827. So oh, wow. quite shortly after the events that we see in the the Minnesota in in this episode. And the first one was actually, yeah, natural causes in uh, it was a lodger in Hare's house. But then they were kind of like, oh, hey, <laughs> you know, we could help a few people along. Yeah. And some more money. Wow. And in fact, to Burke is a phrase that means to murder as by suffocation so as to leave no or few marks of violence. And this actually comes from William Burke's methods to kill these lodgers that oh my God. Gave, gave the body to. And so this trial had a whole bunch of acclaim and Hare actually turned on Burke, turned state's witness, whatever, mm -hmm. and laid it all, you know, it confessed to everything and laid it all on Burke and Burke end, uh, ended up executed. And as of 2022, his skeleton was still displayed at Edinburgh Medical School. As a result... In 1832, the Anatomy Act was passed to make bodies more readily available. Oh, and apparently wow. at this time, Edinburgh is the leading European center of anatomical study. So it makes a lot of sense that this these incidents are taking place in Edinburgh. But I thought that this whole Burke and Hare trial and these murders had to be why they chose 1827 for the the setting for the show. Wow, great find. Thank you. Thank you. It was it was very interesting to dig into a little bit. And interesting connection to Lazari as well, right? I mean, yes. you're not raising from the dead, but you're pulling them out of the graves. Right, right. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't too surprised that they picked Edinburgh because I knew it did have like the preeminent medical school there. And I'm assuming the anatomy was attached to that so i hadn't known that so uh, yeah that that it, that is very cool yeah i think a lot of people i think there were even like people from the united states that would go over to the medical school in edinburgh wow that's so, awesome yeah i'm not sure how i know that how do i know that's, that yeah some random tidbit i picked up along the way mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. doesn't surprise me mm -hmm. doesn't surprise me okay i had a lot of problems with Aziraphale in this episode. Oh, so many problems. <laughs> Just, wow. Can't see the forest for the trees much? Yeah, and I was also thinking he does. He kind of represents the thought of the upper class yes. in both Great Britain and the United States at this time, right? Where it's the myth of the meritocracy, which is what he and... Crowley, it kind of debate a little bit when and Crowley's like, you know, well, not Crowley, sorry, Aziraphale 
says the lower the, you start, the more opportunities you have. And he says Elspeth has all the opportunities because she's so poor. And Crowley's like, that's lunacy. And, you know, Azarephal's like, no, that's ineffable. And I was like, man, I go, he's making all the arguments that, you know, the uh, burgeoning capitalist class had. And of course, it's how imperialism has been justified. I mean, it's, they're basically talking kind of social Darwinism here without actually mentioning social Darwinism, but all about this myth of meritocracy. I was like, damn, that's getting kind of deep stuff here. Agreed. And the words of reason are coming from the demon. Yeah. Yeah. This whole episode, Aziraphale's doing way more harm than Crowley. Absolutely. Because we morag. Yes. Uh, that's all on Aziraphale, man. 100%. If if he would have just left the first body alone, mm-hmm. Elspeth's plan was for them to get into a boarding house with the mm-hmm. money they got, mm-hmm. and they could have lived at least a time. Yeah. And it ended up with his intervention. We Morag ended up in that graveyard and ended up dead. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I thought you had to appreciate the lots of we. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I I do like using that word. (laughs) Well, there were a plethora of we's in this episode. And Crowley jumping right on the Scottish accent. Oh, yes. He's really laying it on. Thick. (laughs) Real thick. I suppose David Tennant was happy he could kind of just use his normal accent. Or yeah, I think he was, yeah, laid it on even a little thick for him, but you know what I mean. I think so too, but it came to him naturally. Yes. I wondered, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead now. Was there anything else you were going to say about this particular thing? Go for it. No, continue. I was just going to jump ahead a little bit, you know, with Aziraphale and Crowley's car. And I have never, ever called a piece of candy a travel suite. I bet you're going to start to. (laughs) Do we have any travel suites? <laughs> you mean candy? Come on. <laughs> it was pretty it was pretty cute though. Yeah, I am totally fine with jumping right to that part <laughs> because I have something to say about the song Azarafale is listening to. Oh, okay. So remember how he says he's listening to classical music, everything's cool, he's having right. his travel suites. The song he's listening to is Dance Macabre, which is based on a French legend that death packs a fiddle and plays at midnight on Halloween, causing the skeletons in the cemetery to crawl out of their graves for their annual dance party. Oh, wow. So how perfect is that selection of music for the grave robbing shenanigans (laughs) we're getting to? And at the end of the episode, the possible second coming foreshadowing we've got here yeah. you know yeah. of, of people the dead will rise and all that kind of stuff so yeah. i i thought i knew that song and i was like i'm not sure and then i looked it up and i'm like oh that's it and then i was like i wonder what that means and i was like holy cow somebody made this choice very intentionally i'm often amazed at the people in charge of music for television and movies how extensive does your knowledge have to be because sometimes i mean songs that are picked that are so perfect mm-hmm. i'm always amazed that's 
this would be a really good example of that. Agreed. All right. Hats off to the... Hats hats off. Lovely little exchange between Crawley and Aziraphale. <laughs> I can't believe, I can't believe Crawley let him took the, take the car in the first place. But yeah. He seems you, to not be doing anything terrible to it. Except turning it sunshine yellow. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it turns back. <laughs> I loved did you did you think maybe this was just me but after the car gets changed back to its regular color and as our fellows speeding along now did yes. you think it almost looks like he's like driving into the opening credits because the style of the background looks more like the opening credits absolutely okay. i have in fact what it, what exactly what i wrote down it's amazing that you say that exactly what i wrote down is where he is driving does not look real looks mm-hmm. like the style of the intro right it was and even one of the birds was sort of moving in the jerky way mm-hmm. that the opening credits does it was mm-hmm. so it was so weird it it really it almost was jarring to see but i i totally agree it was kind of random because they haven't yeah. done that before so it'll be interesting to see if they do it again and i'm yeah it makes me wonder why did they do it in that scene I mean, because yeah. we also see the Loch Ness monster in that scene. Oh, I missed that. Tell mm-hmm. me where that was. Well, it's right. There's that lake kind of in front of those mountains. Yes. And the Loch Ness monster is kind of over to the right side of the lake. Oh, my gosh. I missed that completely. <laughs> I have got to, I have got to give that a rewatch. <laughs> okay. I'm up to the the hell scene yes and when beelzebub pulls on the rope and you hear the bell ring and someone scream yeah. yes in yes. my head i went every time a bell rings an angel loses its wings <laughs> <laughs> isn't it an angel gets its wings oh but you mean here because it's hell yes and we hear yeah. somebody scream <laughs> okay like it like it got it so now i, I was also wondering by the end of the scene where the heck Beelzebub is mentally right because it almost sounded like she was quite melancholy agreed you know and wanting to get some praise for the work that she's doing which is very human you wouldn't Mm -hmm. think a leader of hell would care one way or the other yes yes so I've I've written down Beelzebub feels Mm underappreciated I couldn't agree more Mm-hmm. And Demon Josh reaches out. He says, "Is everything okay?" And she's still have none of it. <laughs> right. So we're back in the bookstore. Yes, and this this means nothing about anything. But Gabriel is dropping my best games of chess, nineteen twenty four to nineteen thirty seven. As near as I could figure, it's actually the book actually is from nineteen oh eight to nineteen thirty seven by Alexander Alkini or something, a Russian. And then French chess player who lived from 1892 to 1946. Well, I, I don't think know if there there's... were actually two volumes that nowadays just get published together. Oh, thanks for that amendment. Okay. I'm satisfied then. <laughs> I could not help but think, man, that's got to be a snoozer. Oh, uh, maybe I can look... get a copy to help me go to sleep at night. I wanted to try to find the first line to see mm-hmm. if it started with in or it, oh, but I, I got, go ahead. Did you find that? 
Well, I think it's on archive.org, which if you've never been to the Internet Archive site, archive.org, yes. you should go because it's got so much stuff. Let's see. Well, I started the whatever I brought up started somewhere in the middle. And so I was trying to scroll up to the beginning, but it was so boring. It was like all these chess diagrams of this move and that move. I just was <laughs> like, I'm not, I am, I don't even know what page this is. I'm quitting. All right. So here we go. My best games of chess. It is the, uh, the, the compendium, the two volumes bound as one. So okay. let's see if we can find chapter list. No bookmarks. Okay. And then we can see if we can get to that. Oh, God. Just even looking at those first few pages, I'm like, <laughs> I'm not a chess player, so I can't appreciate it. Now, if it was bad, gamut. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> My best game. I mean, this has got diagrams of yeah. the plays and everything. Holy That's exactly holy. what I was saying. Like, this, is, this is a snooze fast. I think it will take too long okay. for me to try to find the correct year because there is no jumping around. Contents. And we don't even know if this was filed near the other books. Right. What seems to be important somewhat is Gabriel's absolute or Jim's absolute fascination with gravity uh -huh. and not quite understanding why he can't put just put something somewhere and it stays. Yes. It always falls. And I must admit, I I enjoyed Crowley's description of mm -hmm. gravity. Yeah. And I just have one little bone to pick with him <laughs> because he said that it's pulled toward the earth because it's the biggest thing around. Oh, right. Which is incorrect. <laughs> incorrect. Has nothing to do with size, everything to do with mass. It's the heaviest thing around. <laughs> but he really did. He is right. It It is. It There is gravitational forces between me and this microphone. They're mm -hmm. just so dwarfed right. by, by the Earth's mass. And yes. So, yeah. So I liked that. I liked that he, that he threw that in there. And he might, you know, biggest... Biggest is not a technical term. He might have been lumping mass in there, but I usually mm -hmm. think of biggest as being connected to size. Yeah, me too, and not weight. Exactly. Well, exactly. while you were speaking, I found <gasps> the first page of the 1924 to whatever, 1937 yes. volume. Yes. And so there's like an introduction in recording the life of Alexander oh. Alkine. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Tori, it paid off. <laughs> Way to be a dog with a bone in starts with in. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yep. Wow. Man, hats off to the writers. My gosh. That's a that's a detail. Oh, that's a deep dive right there. That I, you know, listen, dear listener. I don't know what other Good Omens podcasts you're listening to, but did any of them catch this? <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be geeks. We're going to be geeks. We're, we're sure trying. We're sure trying. That's amazing. Wow, she had yeah. to check out the book from the archives <laughs> in order to scroll to the first line. That's amazing. Yeah, well, wow. we have got to keep an eye on every book that 
that Jim touches. Yeah, and we, we have are. Been. We have yes. been. Wow. Okay. Nice. Nice. Okay. That that's a big win right there. That was some that was some careful work that really paid off. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Okay. So so Crowley tosses these books. Why is he carrying them anyway? I mean, he doesn't need to do anything in the bookshop. He just <laughs> what's he what's he moving books from place to place for? Probably just to make Zerfell crazy. <laughs> these probably are not supposed to be here. Probably. They're definitely not supposed to be just thrown in a pile on the floor. <laughs> well, they're definitely not supposed to be filed in alphabetical order by first line either. Yeah. So he yeah. seems to let things go. But we have our magical fly show up again. Mm-hmm. That flies go up. So maybe Jim is thinking he should know something about this fly, but it hasn't quite broken through yet. And maybe that's why, you know, the flies go up, the books mm-hmm. go down. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I I did write. I was like, well, maybe the fly is God. (laughs) Another possibility. Another real possibility. So we've got a couple of hypotheses going. Or maybe God is in Gabriel and Gabriel is in the fly. Oh, now that could be too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're we're ready. We're ready. Makers of good omens. Lay it on us. (laughs) But now, summary to birds. Oh, my gosh. Yes. But not before we head back to Edinburgh in the 19th century. Yes. <laughs> now, do you... Dr. Dalrymple, who I wondered, and he relates yes. to what the uh, Thunderbolt or Thundergun Dalrymple. <laughs> uh, I will just say the whole exact phrase. Any relation to the Thundergun of Witchfinder Colonel, get them before they get you, Dalrymple. <laughs> thank you. I look back through my notes. I never wrote down <laughs> the full thing. So thank you. I was like... I do remember thinking as I was like looking through my notes, I was like, oh, it'll be all right because Rebecca will have it. <laughs> I had to because I thought that was so funny. I mean, I I feel like there has to be some intentionality with that, but mm-hmm. we we have not seen it as of yet. Other than when was the witch trial? Well, no, I we have not seen it drawn yet. We'll see if it pays off later. Yeah. Yeah. So Oh. I did look up what FRCSE stood for. Okay, what does that mean? Fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons, Edinburgh. Ah. When he said, yeah, when he said, I'm a surgeon, not a doctor. <laughs> I Yeah, those were big distinctions because I think surgeons actually were better trained. It seems as if. Than doctors back in the day. Now, did you think that Crawley calling himself a doctor was a nod to Doctor Who? I, of course, immediately thought that. <laughs> Because Aziraphale never says he is. It is it is Dalrymple that assumes mm-hmm. that Aziraphale is as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I loved that. I loved it. Of course, it. I immediately went there because, of course, David Tennant is my favorite doctor. Fantastic. Right on. So, but then we see, we see Aziraphale's turned around in his thinking when he sees that this big ass tumor was taken from a child who died as a result of the mm-hmm. tumor mm-hmm. and so at least what i will give aziraphale is he he admits when he's wrong he's just mm-hmm. sometimes doggedly wrong until mm-hmm. it is put at him that he's wrong well you know this minisode of the resurrectionist is a good cautionary tale about acting before you have all of the facts nicely said 
So Dalrymple calls his own fate when he says he'll either get a knighthood or hang as a resurrectionist. Actually, he didn't hang. He just left in disgrace. But he... Well, he did commit suicide, so maybe he hung himself. Oh, maybe he did. We don't know. Right. Good point. I did also notice that Aziraphale, even before the tumor bit, he did not like the whiskey. And maybe he was hoping for his sherry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think whiskey's a little more of uh, Crowley's drink. Yes. Yeah. I prefer port over sherry myself, but. Mm, absolutely. All right. So the Perfect. next stuff I have is about the Resurrectionist pub. Let's go there. What have you got? Well, I did notice, of course, on the sign, it has Jesus on one side and Dalrymple on the other. But technically, it should have been Elspeth. 100%. Because the Resurrectionist is the body snatcher. The other thing I'm going to say is I'm quite sure that picture of Jesus is hid in front of the grave of Lazarus as well. Oh, is it? Yes. I didn't pay that close of attention to it. That's him calling Lazarus forth. You can kind of see a shrouded figure inside the cave. Uh, Well, that totally makes sense because it's the Resurrectionist pub. But still. I really agree. He benefited from the Resurrectionists. But he, well, I guess he even said being hung as a Resurrectionist. So maybe, maybe the anatomists were sort of thrown in the same, you know considered cut from the same cloth as those that dug up the bodies well and of course for all we know Dalrymple actually did end up going even though he didn't want to sully his hands and thought it was a waste of his time to do so maybe that's why he had to leave in disgrace absolutely kind of crazy that that picture of Dalrymple was like exactly what we saw when Crowley and Aziraphale visited like exactly him cleaning his bloody knife with the bloody rag <laughs> bloody hatchet, really no doubt makes you think that one of them might have well i don't know that it just was so i mean i guess maybe it was just so that it was very clear to us who it was in that picture but yeah yeah i think that was probably for the the viewing audience yeah. Aziraphale's outfit was fantastic. Him taking <laughs> on this newsy per- persona was an absolute stitch. <laughs> he is what is known as a newspaper man. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he's still, even though he's been on Earth for 6,000 years, he's still getting stuff wrong. <laughs> oh, and he's just giddy with glee about it. I mean, he is just uh, as as much as Muriel is. You know, yes, he's yeah. just childish in his delight with yes. it. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I was right. That drawing was of uh, Gabriel. You were absolutely right. Total props on that. I do <laughs> feel like more detail has been added since the last <laughs> time when I saw it and wasn't sure. Because, boy, it was a good drawing of 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 uh, Gabriel now. Yeah. <laughs> With I tried another to Mason. Look... I thought it was interesting what they're bringing in the Freemasons now. Oh, me too. I mean, we, I felt like we wanted so much more from this visit. Right. But I'll take the nuggets we got. First of all, I tried to take a really close look at the jukebox to see if there was anything helpful on that. I couldn't really see the name of any of the records. I saw in the front of the jukebox, it said multi-horn high fidelity jukebox. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's interesting that it was multi-horn. I, I don't know. Horns make me think of like the horn of the last 
coming or, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't know, but yeah. maybe that's just what, how jukebox were characterized. I don't know much about jukeboxes, but what I seem, let me. Not a jukebox hero? <laughs> I don't, I don't, that, that is not ringing to what that completely means. It's a song. He okay. was a jukebox hero. Okay. Now that you, now that you sang a bar, that sounded <laughs> a little more familiar. <laughs> So here is my summary of what we learned. Okay. Okay. And let it from from our our hard hitting investigative reporting here. <laughs> the issue started last year. It was on a Friday evening. Gabriel was there. Mm-hmm. He was with another Mason. Mm-hmm. There is a lodge next door. One of them was in a fancy gray suit. Which I just assumed was Gabriel. Yeah. He's usually in white. Yeah, they use use a lot of creams and light grays and and so forth. Okay, I'm going to go a little tin tin foil hat here again. Okay. Okay. Maybe God wore Gabriel as an outfit. Okay. (laughs) To meet with Satan, potentially about another bet. Like the one about Job. <laughs> huh. Just throwing it out there. All right. I don't have a I don't have a lot of evidence, but I was wondering if maybe the gray might have been as opposed to white. But I can't believe we then didn't go over to the Mason's place and get yeah. more info. Unfortunately, Aziraphale isn't very isn't a very good newspaper man. <laughs> <laughs> Not a very good investigative reporter. <laughs> Yeah, I'm 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 hooked on the mystery here. Yeah, me too. I want to know what's happening. So, did you get any more details other than no? That I, those are this? that's okay. pretty much except that the it was a Friday strokes. night. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to be significant in some way. So. We shall see. And we've got these pamphlets, which I would have liked a closer look mm-hmm. at the inside of one of these pamphlets. Mm-hmm. I would have liked the look. Period. But yeah. yeah. They have that pamphlet outside of their establishment. Mm-hmm. And then we go back to the past again. Yeah, back in 19th century Edinburgh. Aziraphale is all for body snatching now. Yeah, he changes his mind pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that, you know, Crowley brings up again about the disparity between rich and poor. And yes, of course, you know, in Great Britain, I think the 19th century is one of those periods where it's kind of at one of its peak peaks and that, that disparity you know we've got the poor houses we've got uh well the poor houses yeah real dickensian Burg- yeah. type yeah mm-hmm. the burgeoning um, industrialization of england and then we get you know finally some politicians showing some concern although i don't know can would we consider prince albert a politician <laughs> <laughs> since he's basically you know the pseudo king the queen's consort <laughs> Right. But anyway, yeah, I mean, it's just when I think about 18th century Britain, that's kind of what I think about. Mm-hmm. Very so. much so. Yes. Crowley's voice was fantastic. The things he said. Was yeah. Very, he, again, a deeper thinker, a yeah. not not just towing the line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I sure zoomed in on the dead guy trying to see if we should know who he was or anything like that. But 
I didn't recognize him. I and either. I was just assuming that Mor- Morag was startled because she'd never seen a dead body. Or- he did kind of have a weird expression on his face. <laughs> yeah, he did. You know, whenever we see dead people nowadays, of course, the funeral directors have put them in a nice repose. Mm-hmm. So, you know, of course, especially if there's going to be an open casket. And here, I don't think they were really all that concerned about it in the past. Right. Yeah, I think that would be kind of startling. Certainly. Mm -hmm. And so they end up hiding in a sepulcher, which I also appear, uh, I also believe appears in the intro. Mm -hmm. And Crawley (laughs) may have overdone it with the hole that the Watchmen fell into. (laughs) Yeah, it was a really deep hole. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And here, you know, Aziraphale's could have saved Wee Morag, but he's taking too much time explaining it to Crowley. Uh-huh. And Wee Morag dies. This I've really started to get down on Xerophil at this point. I'm like, dude, mm-hmm. it's all your fault. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Ugh. I wrote down, and I don't know if this will come into play at any point, but you know, Xerophil always has such good intentions. And of course, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Paved with them. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting. I was like, I'm going to write that down and just, you know, sit on it for a while. Watch the coming episodes and see what happens. Squirrel it away. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I was like, "Mm, get a little worried for uh, Aziraphale here. So Elspeth decides to sell Weemorag's body, but not so that she can live a long prosperous life she wants to end it she decides she just wants to die and Mm -hmm. join we morag wherever she may go so grabs the laudanum which i did look i looked up laudanum which i have heard of before Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. apparently used to be used in a lot of medicines painkillers sleep aid but it's very addictive because it's got opium and morphine in it yeah yeah there must have been a lot of addicted people oh my god in the 19th century and early 20th century 100 <laughs> percent. so then we have this real alice in wonderland sort of situation complete with a mad hatter hat <laughs> and and a wee crawly hysterical and just bizarre yeah i was like okay that's weird why is crowley wee <laughs> mm-hmm. I wasn't really sure about the significance of that. It's a choice. So why that choice? I'm still not really sure why. You got any thoughts on it? My, uh, I, I, I don't know why it would be connected with Alice in Wonderland, but that is really the this whole through the looking glass. I, it, that's just what jumped to mind. This really, really small, then really, really big. But no, I don't really know. It, except that he was out of control, right? He mm-hmm. lost his control. And maybe they have to control themselves to stay looking human-like and stay the same size and not be... I, I don't know. I don't know. But it was just <laughs> really bizarre. Yeah. And I just thought, what? Does Elsbeth think of all this? I mean, we know that Crawley and Aziraphale are not what they seem. Mm-hmm. But did did she realize the magnitude of how they were not what they seem? Sure didn't look like she did. She's, she didn't at all. She didn't react. 
And I really want to know if we're going to see Elsbeth come back. I mean, she promised to be good, yeah. right? And really, yeah. really be good. So I just wonder if she will appear somewhere in the future yeah. or have have founded the pub or, you know, something. If, mm-hmm. if somehow Elsbeth shows up in one way or another or her or a descendant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be interesting. That would be kind of cool. If they linked her to that. Mm-hmm. But I did like when Carly's like, you have sinned very bigly. <laughs> Loved that. <laughs> Loved and that. She still doesn't seem all that phased about it. <laughs> she doesn't seem phased at all. Yeah. But, and once again, you know, we find Crowley is really a good guy. And in fact, he has to pay for it this time. He gets he sucked does. into hell and Aziraphale doesn't see him for a while. Yep. Yep. Wonder what happens to Crowley and Hal. Yeah. I suppose we'll probably find out. But yeah. And I, I love is... the transition. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. The transition's first. Okay. The transition from the 19th century, Aziraphale standing at Gabriel's statue to present day, Aziraphale standing at Gabriel's statue was mm-hmm. fantastic. It was so seamless. That was it. Perfect. I just thought it was yes. really great transition and it was such a great transition with such attention on gabriel's statue that i was again racking my brain for why is gabriel's statue here i mean not why is there a statue of gabriel but why does it look exactly like gabriel and who did gabriel meet with and what the heck is going on (laughs) yeah yeah oh we questions we need answers to yes and then we have McDonald and McLoyd, who look like pretty tough customers. I tried desperately to figure out what was the guy's tattoo on his forehead, but I couldn't figure it out. Were you able to read it? Well, all of the, I could read, and I don't know if I got it right. It was either R-E-G-R-I-S or R-E-G-R-T-S, which made me think maybe it was supposed to be like no regrets, but regrets was spelled wrong because it's a prison tat. Ah, okay. Interesting. And it sure looked, he had the little teardrops at the corner right. of his eye. Right. I don't know what the buttons they were wearing were, but I prison tat seems like a, a good a good hypothesis there. Yeah. Oh, you know, the one thing I didn't mention, well, I guess we haven't really, we're still on that same kind of scene, with, but we're in the bookshop during the phone call. Yes. Jim really looks quite comatose. Yes. While Crowley's on the phone. Hmm. And I couldn't figure out why they made him look comatose at that particular point, because Crowley hasn't said the word yet. Yes. But this this is also the scene where we get my favorite line in this episode, the awning of a new age. Loved it. <laughs> Loved it. I did like, you know, because again, since the awning of a new age refers to Maggie and Nina, I really appreciated the fact that Maggie was standing up for herself. Like yes. I don't, And this is what I was kind of alluding to earlier, right? Nina's throwing her crap on everybody else. And mm-hmm. she seems to blame Maggie for everything that happened. And, and Maggie's standing up for herself. She's like, I didn't lock us in there. You know, I have given Lindsay no reason to think we're having an affair and all mm-hmm. that. I was like, you go, you stand up for yourself, Maggie girl. Yeah. Yeah, funny that we got a little too much rain in the awning burst. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim did the va-va-voom. 
Yeah. The, the booming was not the result of that particular tempest. Okay, well, speaking of comatose Gabriel. Yeah, we see his eyes flash purple. Mm-hmm. And I wrote down what he said. Okay. There will come a tempest and darkness and great storms, and the dead will leave their graves and walk the earth once more, and there will be great lamentations. Every day, it's getting closer. Did you hear any God voice reverberation in there? It wasn't nearly as obvious as the last time. Well, I, I noticed I change in mm-hmm. the tone and everything, but I didn't notice the God voice. Okay. Per se. I, I mean, I didn't, sure. I didn't hear Francis McDormand. Yeah. I got irritated at the purple eyes. Number mm. one, we don't see him in season one. Yes. Which, if Gabriel is possessed, then, you know, that would explain the purple eyes, right? Because it's not really Gabriel. But I think that the uh, creative team underestimate their audience with this, right? Like, they didn't trust that the audience would understand if the actor body language changed and their voice tone changed, that this was going to be like a different individual speaking mm-hmm. through gabriel and so i was i got a little irritated about that and i thought well maybe i'm really overthinking it but dang it you know they should have trusted the actor in the audience to Agreed. figure that out with, without having to rely on this purple eyes trick mm-hmm. i agree with you on that i tried to find out if these exact words are from revelation or something it sure sounds like they should be the rapture the second coming into the world right shacks was real creepy here this jumping from person to person yeah again another choice which made me go purpose what's the purpose yeah but shacks is putting on the pressure and Mm -hmm. it does sound like she is living in crawley's old place yep and she is really thinking gabriel's in there Mm -hmm. even -hmm. though when she looks straight at him she doesn't really figure out what's going on well i couldn't figure out you know what the hell happened to muriel i mean she just disappears from the rest of the episode wasn't she supposed to be staking out the bookstore muriel could be stuck in a paper box i mean <laughs> she can, she's having trouble making her way around <laughs> she's just somewhere staring at a cup of tea <laughs> probably i mean muriel could be five feet away we just don't know yeah but yeah so then we're kind of at the end Yes, ominous that the forces of hell will declare we're, we're on Aziraphel and Crawley, once again, always protecting him. Yep. You keep your hands off my guy. Yep. I wasn't really sure what to make of this episode. I yes. think that there are things that are vague enough that raise a lot of questions that hopefully we'll get answers to in these mm-hmm. coming episodes. Yes, I, I had been hoping we would have more answers after this particularly since they were going to the resurrectionist pub so i was a little disappointed in that but there were enough things that i found really interesting i I don't think i'm going to call this my favorite of the three in fact i think this is my least favorite of the three episodes so so far but i still really liked it i agree i agree okay well on to episode four yeah all we gotta do now is say bye thanks for listening everybody 
Wallowing in the Shallows is created and produced by the both of us. Edited by Mo. The soundtrack for the Wallowing in the Shallows Good Omen Season 2 chat is Dmitry Shostakovich, Jazz Suite Number 2, Waltz Number 2, from the Internet Archive at archive.org. You can send us feedback at witstvpod at gmail.com. That's W-I-T-S-T-V-P-O-D at gmail.com. Subscribe. And then subscribe. Subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Like and subscribe.